This is the Color Pencil Podcast, session number 160. Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a colored pencil podcast where we discuss in detail all things in and around colored pencils and the colored pencil artist. And now your hosts, Lisa Clow and John Middick. Hello, my name is John Middick of SharpenedArtist.com, and I'm joined by, as usual, we talk, see, you did this to me. We talked about stumbling <laughs> over words, and you caused this. I've infected you. It's spreading. <laughs> I'm joined by Lisa Clow of Lockery Fine Art. Lisa, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking better than I did yesterday, so apparently I passed that flag off onto you. <laughs> yeah, passing the torch. I appreciate that. <laughs> So this is a show about colored pencil where we discuss colored pencil, anything and everything related to this medium that we love so much. So Lisa, what are we talking about today? We are talking about tips to improve your drawing skills. Plus, at the end of the podcast, we're going to tell you how to keep your graphite line drawings from smudging into the color once you start adding color, keep you from getting that muddy mess that can happen sometimes. Such a popular question, I tell you. And, you know, this is a great topic to tackle, and I'll tell you why. This is something that I love it when I'm teaching someone and a student just has this aha kind of moment. You can just kind of see it in their face uh, and in their eyes when they're drawing, and, and they all of a sudden understand something that they didn't before. I love that time when when you see that when you can witness that because it happens to me i'm sure it happens to you lisa and when you see that with a student it's just a great yeah. thing so here's and some the drawing the foundation i mean you've got to keep in mm-hmm. mind anytime your drawing is your foundation it needs to right. be solid an example i've mentioned a few times recently on live streams and such but i was recently at an art show and there was a guy who had put his work was in graphite i say guy i don't know if it was a male or female artist but this person was drawing wildlife so detailed. The fur was done so well. The texture, everything mm-hmm. was amazing. The foundation drawing was not. It was mm-hmm. off. And I'm not talking about something that's stylized because I think that that's very different. Yeah, yeah, that is different. Yeah, if it's intentional, that's one right, thing. Right, right. Here, this was somebody who just hadn't learned to recognize when something wasn't quite off. So when you looked at the art, it just made you feel more uncomfortable and not in an artsy. That was my goal. This is somebody who was trying to create as real, you know, very realistic looks, but wasn't starting with that solid foundation. And it, I mean, it was such a good example. No matter how much shading, or in the case with us with colored pencil, no matter, matter how well we blend and layer and get everything in there, if that foundation drawing is off, it doesn't matter. I mean, it, you've got to start with a solid foundation. Take the time. Take whatever time you need to make sure that's right before you start because it's not going to get better the more layers of color you add on. Right. So that's why learning to draw, these tips that we've got for you today, should be really helpful for everyone. Yeah, and you feel it yourself often, but more than anything, you have a blind spot when it comes to your own art. And the viewer, though, certainly sees it, uh, just like you saw that in that wildlife art. I mean, and so you have to improve on your core, just your core drawing skills. It has to be accurate from the beginning. Number one, draw from life. This is my first tip. Draw from life because... If, especially if it's something that you're not used to doing, if it's something that makes you uncomfortable, if you're drawing from life, 
feels kind of like a, a nerve-wracking thing, then do it. That's the thing you should do then. And just practice that. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, just, you know, get a model and do a portrait or something like that. Uh, if that makes you uncomfortable, if you've not drawn from life very often at all, maybe start with a still life or just go out in nature and find something that you want to draw that appeals to you. But draw from life. I Get think into that your that's vegetable something. and fruit drawers, too. You've got some mm-hmm. good stuff in there for still yeah. life or just for yeah. quick sketches. Yeah, head to the crisper. I call it a crisper. Do you call it a crisper? No. I think I'm the only one on the planet calls it a crisper. No, I've anyway. heard other people call it that, too. <laughs> okay, I call one it, other this person. This is the drawer maybe. that I'm going to shove things into yeah. that I don't want to deal with, and it's probably going to rot before I get to it. it turns green later, because, or, yeah. or it's the bacon, you know, and it turns all these funky shades of gray. Okay, <laughs> anyway, getting back. So, yeah, drawing from life, though, I think is a really, really big one. Yeah, and you'll hear often, this is a question that I actually get asked a lot, because there are artists out there in different schools of thought that will tell you, drawing from life, if you draw from reference photos, your work will look flat. That is just not true. No. That is absolutely not true. There is an Mm. art to learning to use a reference photo, something that is two-dimensional, and making it look three-dimensional. So just because an artist can't do that doesn't mean that it can't be done. I, I suspect that those teachers are just used to drawing from life, because it uses a different part of your brain. The way that you're going to translate what you see from life versus what you see on a reference photo and then putting onto a piece of paper, it it uses different parts of your brain. Yeah, you should do both. You should do both. You should absolutely do both, but don't Mm -hmm. feel like one is the right only way to do it and the other is not. No, learning both, I think, is a good thing for everybody. Absolutely. The next tip we've got for you, draw in your sketchbook. I'm pretty bad. I don't do this so much anymore, but when I was first learning to draw, I had sketchbooks full of sketches, everything. I mean, I was constantly, whether it be from my mind, which I don't recommend if you're really trying to improve because I had a lot of horses that look like hot dogs on stick legs. Um, Get a reference photo. But draw in that sketchbook. Just take the time, quick sketches that you're not so much worried about it being perfect, but the more you do something, the better you're going to get at it. Whether that means you learn what not to do, it doesn't really matter. You're learning pick up the sketchbook, pick up the pencil, and just draw. You can do that in front of the TV if you like to relax at night watching TV or listening to the radio. Whatever you like to do, you can sit there and sketch without just that practice is so helpful. Yeah, and don't make any judgments about it. Just just do it because it's a it's a habit. You know, it's just a habit, a goal habit that you're going to do it. That's my recommendation. Okay, next, draw only objects and shapes that represent the subject once in a while. This will help you to improve your drawing skills. If you look at something and sometimes just squinting, helping to, you know, helping your mind just to not look at the details, just look at the overall shape of something, just the the object itself as a mass and think about what it would look like if it were simplified. Maybe it's a block. Maybe it is a circle. You know, maybe it's, you know, something else. And maybe it's a rectangle, whatever it is, just, you know, boil it down to what its simplest, simplest parts might be. And then try to draw those objects first, especially if it's something very detailed. And sometimes that will really help you. That actually brings us into the next tip. Draw timed studies. Give yourself, let's say, 10 minutes or five minutes. What's going to happen is what John was talking about, those gestures, those shapes. You're going to focus more on that in how do you relay that movement? Let's say it's an animal. Mm -hmm. How do you quickly get the movement in that animal? How do you quickly, or a rose, whatever it is you want to do, how do you quickly create that in a very short amount of time? And this is going to be great, too, if if you're struggling with time, if you're struggling to sit down and work in a sketchbook. Tell yourself, I'm going to sit here for 10 minutes and 
draw. That may be all you do that day, but you did something. That's a huge, huge step in improving mm-hmm. your work. But doing these timed kind of gesture studies, just very quick, maybe five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it is, time yourself. And that's as, as long as you have to get that work done. Big tip on that, don't draw big. It won't be much yeah. faster if you go a little bit smaller on that, but it can help you to improve your drawing so much. Yeah, I really like that one because it it forces you to make something count, you know, and to really uh, be deliberate about what mark you are, are making instead of just sitting there and preparing and getting ready all the time. Okay, our next tip then Draw things that make you uncomfortable. Now, I I don't mean, you know, if you like pretty things, you're going to draw gore and stuff like that. That's not what I'm talking about. But things that I'll I'll use myself as as an example here. It makes me uncomfortable to draw straight lines. Anything that has, and and I'm not talking about, you know, do that without a ruler and all that. I'll use a ruler. That's fine. I'll use whatever tool is necessary to get the job done. But Something about drawing a building, drawing, you know, things that are geometrical uh, and not, you know, these non-organic shapes that are man-made, this kind of stuff that architectural instead of just something out of nature, that kind of thing is difficult for me. And I don't know why that is, but it, it is. And it makes me very uncomfortable. And I'll force myself to draw those types of things. Um, some of it, I think, has to do with perspective, and that's another thing to gauge, you know, how well you're doing with perspective without, you know, making the points in the horizon and, and uh, you know, if you're doing a one or two or three point uh, perspective drawing, but just forcing yourself to imagine where the vanishing point may be. Maybe that's an uncomfortable thing for you. It is for me. And so those are things that I try to force myself to do. And that's my encouragement to you. If drawing a tree makes you uncomfortable, draw a tree. If drawing a a sphere makes you uncomfortable, draw that. Draw whatever it is that you think, oh, I hate doing that. Just force yourself to do it and you will see some improvement by just forcing yourself to do it. And one of the things that's so great about that is it's really common to see where an artist is like, okay, I'm good at drawing this, so I'm just going to keep drawing it over and over and over again. And you may have an idea like, oh, it'd be cool if this was included in that, but I'm going to kind of stray away from it because it's not something I'm used to drawing. I don't think I'm going to be a, do a good job. If you from the beginning have been drawing anything, everything, if it, if it remotely makes you think... Uh, I don't really want to do that. That's the thing you should be drawing. That's the mm-hmm. thing you want to jump to. Right. Now, I do think that it's different if, like, in my case, I'm not really interested in motorcycles or cars. That's totally different. That's not something I see myself wanting to include in my work a lot. So it's just a lack of interest altogether. Yeah, I'm well, talking- you're probably not going to spend, like... You know, forty hours. Well, yeah, <laughs> and I'm talking more. I, I think it's it's really helpful things like like you're saying, like the buildings. I love the way that the buildings yeah. look, but I don't really want to put the time into it. Right. That right. tells me that that's what I really should be doing. I do. Mm-hmm. I to this day do this to myself all the time, where I'm like, oh, I don't want to put the time that's going to be necessary in that thing. My work is probably lacking because some of my ideas are just not as creative as they could be because I'm limiting myself because I don't want to. It's uncomfortable. Yeah, Right. And, and and I'm the same way. I think all artists are. But the thing is, we don't have to do a full-fledged, you know, this full project, full-on project is going to take, you know, 20, 30 hours. You can get your sketchbook out, though, and do something that is smaller yeah. scale, you know, and that will force you enough, I think. Yeah. Our next tip, draw studies. 
let's say you're working on portraits. Just draw the nose, the ha- the eye, mm-hmm. the hand versus the whole body. Or same thing with animals. Draw the tiger's eye and the fur around the face, not just the whole tiger to start with. If you break it down into smaller sections, that's going to make it a lot easier for you to notice things that you might not have noticed before. And then you can apply it to your bigger works later on. But you can learn a lot more about anatomy if you can break it down into its smaller sections like that. All right. Since we're on portraits there, we mentioned it briefly then, I want to talk about one other thing that we could do when we're drawing portraits. And that is to uh, force yourself, especially if you're new to portraits and this is something that you want to improve in, then you can draw from different types of head construction methods to get the overall head shape. Uh, And it helps us to understand the anatomy better, especially if you not only draw the head, but you draw the neck and the shoulders uh, as well. And so you're forcing yourself to kind of understand the overall anatomy of at least of the outline of this particular subject matter. So maybe, you know, you're thinking about it like, I, well, I just like drawing the face. You know, I like just only looking at the face and looking at the eyes and drawing the, that more than anything else. And I'm going to draw a floating head, you know, with no, no neck or just barely a neck. And then it's floating out here in space on your paper, whatever it is, something like that. Well, just force yourself then, if that's the case, if you're uncomfortable with shoulders, force yourself to draw a little bit more of the body on that portrait and look into those head construction methods and it'll give you the perspective and the proportion that is uh, accurate to the ratio of the head when you're looking at the shoulders as well. And then the differences, there's nuances between male and female when we're doing that, adult versus child, that sort of thing. And so force yourself in those areas when you're looking at portraits if that's something that you want to improve in. Yeah, and a lot of the books will break down things that are just helpful to know, like the Mm -hmm. length of the body is so many heads tall. And that's going to vary from child to adult, male to female. Those things to understand and know are a pretty big deal. Yeah, they are because – and one other thing quickly then on that point is that, you know, one thing that helped me and I think it has helped a lot of my students, especially the ones that are going through the portrait prep course, um, is that if you look at – the ideal head. You look at the ideal eye and the ideal nose, ideal mouth and chin, if there ever was such a thing. But if you get one down and you memorize this particular model for yourself, then when you're looking at an actual model that you're, you know, you're going to draw, maybe it's a commission or something like that, you're going to be able to see the differences then in that particular subject matter that you're drawing. And it's a new puzzle to you. It's something that you're going to trouble through, figure out how it varies from the ideal. This is the reason why counterfeiters, you know, get real good at creating counterfeit money. And the prosecutors, the ones that are catching the counterfeiters, they don't go out and study all the counterfeit. They study the actual mint. They study what is true so well. And that's what I'm encouraging you to do in this is that you want to study the actual head of a portrait and get that down so well that you notice the nuanced differences of your actual subject when you're drawing it. Yeah. And one of the things that I think can help you is actually our next point on here, trace. I know mm-hmm. people get all freaked out. Oh, my God, you're cheating. No. Tracing 
does two things. First, for those who are learning, it will help you to learn to do things more accurately faster. What it's going to do is what John was talking about. You're doing it accurately. You're seeing it accurately from the beginning. Trace something five to ten times, then freehand it. Now, the goal is not to forever trace. I don't want anyone dependent on that. That does limit you. You want to be able to freehand it on your own. And then the second point that I was, I'm mentioned was that for those of us who can already draw, who can freehand it, it just saves us a lot of time. But for learning to draw, learning to improve your drawing, trace something, it can be a rose, it can be a portrait, whatever, trace it five to 10 times, then freehand it, then trace it again five to 10 times, then freehand it. What I found over the last, I've been teaching this method for since 1999. What I found is that if a student continuously freehands it, more often than not, they'll just keep making the same mistake over and over and over again. And that learning process is a lot slower. So if I can get them instead to trace that thing a couple of times or, you know, five, 10 times, then freehand it, the improvement is huge. I saw people improve their drawing skills so much faster this way than just freehanding alone and trying to fix it and show them what's wrong because then you're kind of working backwards. I'm showing them what's wrong instead of starting out showing them what's right. If you trace it, you're starting out showing yourself what's correct, what's right. And what happens is our brain wants to take over. We see something, you know, like the human eye. We all know what an eye looks like. We talk to people all the time. We see eyes all the time. I don't need to really pay attention to the details in the reference photo. And our brain wants to take over. If you force yourself to to trace it, you're forcing yourself to notice details within that eye you may not have noticed. Maybe it's how the crease folds. Maybe it's the wrinkles underneath the eye. Where do they, they start? Because I'll see this is a good example. I've seen students You've got those little wrinkles around the eye that'll usually start with the inner corner on the under eye. I've seen students where they'll try to take wrinkles and run, run them right under the entire eye. And they take someone who's supposed to be maybe a young woman and make her look like she's 80 years old. So they didn't notice those details. If you have them trace it and see where those lines actually are, when they then go and freehand it, it makes more sense. They've seen it done correctly. They've done it correctly in tracing it. So tracing is just one of the fastest ways I've seen students improve. And again, I don't want somebody to just trace because that is not the goal. You need to be able to freehand, but this is such a valuable tool in getting yourself to that point faster. When you're actually tracing something, your mind, here's what often happens is our mind tells us that a particular line is one length when it actually isn't. And our proportions in our mind are always very, very off from what reality really is. So very good tip. I think that's one of the best tips actually that we've mentioned and the most controversial and people won't do it. A lot of people will not do it, but you're listening to this and you probably will. Here's one more, too, that I just thought. I know we're technically done with this list, but I want to throw this one out there. Measure your work against itself. So let's say I'm drawing a portrait. I can take a piece of paper and mark on there, okay, the eye is this wide. What else on my reference photo is that wide? Right, it right. may be a portion of the nose, how wide the nose is of different people. It may be the different distance between the bottom of the lip and the chin. Find other things that are the same distance and make sure on your drawing that they're the same distance. So you're constantly checking your measurements against itself. Yes. If that, I, it's harder to that, describe that than is, to show. No, no, that's, that's very, very good. That's something I constantly do. Um, and teaching that, uh, instilling that, imbibing that in a student 
is a challenge sometimes, but I tell you, when you're able to inculcate that and put that, make that a part of your drawing process, because it should be one of the tracks in your mind when you're drawing all the time. What is that actual distance? What is that actual, you know, length of this? Or what is the mass of this? You should actually be doing that all the time and comparing it to other things in your reference and then on your own drawing. Yeah, it'll I think really help that's you to keep separate you proportion. Be. What's that? It'll help. I'm sorry. It'll really help you to keep stuff in proportion when yes. you're constantly checking your own drawing yeah. against itself because you're probably not drawing at the same size as the reference photo that you're working with. Right. So if you, you know, check the ear. How wide is that ear? Is your ear too small? Well, how wide is the eye in comparison? Make sure, yeah. you know, balance that out when you're... I really like this. I'm sorry to get so excited about this one, but I really like this. I'm glad you brought it up um, because that's something that, you know, I use triangulation a lot of times. Like I'll take like the edge of like the corner of the eye to the, the corner of the mouth, something like that, and then the edge of the nose. Um, and I'll use that little triangle right there on the reference, and I'll look at those distances, and then I'll compare it to mine. Like you said, if it is a different uh, size than the reference, then I have to compare it to what I'm drawing on my particular drawing. So, yeah, this is this is such a big one. And How did one we miss this in our initial I list? Don't, I don't know, but, <laughs> but it is very, very important. We have, um, I think, Lisa, I think you talked about this at the beginning of the show. We were going to talk about one thing that will help you in not getting that smudging effect or having something transfer with your graphite line drawing, especially if you're adding color later, like colored pencil on top of, you know, that line drawing. You know, one of the, here's the big reveal. Don't use a B pencil. Yes. Use one of the hard leads. You know, use, I, I would say, I would venture to say even if, especially if you have a hard, a, a heavy hand, that is, to not use an HB, but use something that is, you know, an HB isn't bad, but if you have a heavy hand, you know. You're, yeah, I'd say it's way too dark, and I, yeah, I have a light hand, going, and I would say it's too dark. Yeah, you're, you're going to leave smudge marks, you know. Um, but yeah, it and it's difficult to erase that depending on the support you're using. But yeah, use one dirty. of the H leads. Yeah, I go personally with a 4H or a 6H. Derwent, their new graphite pencils, they go up to, I think, a 9H. I mean, you can go really light. Yeah, see, I don't I don't like that. I like the 2H uh, personally. But uh, OK, well, let me explain if, if there's maybe positives you don't and negatives know. between going yeah. too, too hard. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. The more you increase the number on the H side, the harder the lead gets. So a 2H is softer than a 4H. Yes. Uh, and so I use a 2H. I like it just a little bit uh, softer. But yeah, The problem that you would have with, like, let's say a 9H, you have to be careful to still use a light hand because the pencil is so hard, it can yeah, indent your paper. And then you're yeah, going to be fighting be, an indent. So yeah, that's, that's the negative. tendency. Yeah, with the 4H and the 6H, I don't have that problem. But again, I use a light hand. So you still want to use a light hand no matter which pencil you're using. But if you use a pencil that's a B, that's, I mean, if you can smudge it with your finger, if you make a line on the paper mm -hmm. and your finger, you run it across it and that smudges, that lets you know that is not the right pencil for the job that you're doing. Use a, a, an H pencil, something that is not, those colors don't smudge very well because it is a harder lead. And it's lighter anyway, so it's less likely to show through. But use a light hand. Don't push very hard. And that can take a little bit of getting used to. If you find yourself, because I'll hear this from people all the time, well, I just naturally have a heavy hand. No, you currently have a heavy hand. You need to train yourself to, to press lighter on that. That's something you learn like anything else. Okay. It's not that you naturally just have a heavy hand. That's just what you've been used to all this time. 
get used to drawing lighter. That that just takes practice. And, and you want to use, again, an H pencil and a light hand will keep you like I never, ever have a problem with smudging graphite in my colored pencil work. Or just buy the call erase line by Prismacolor and, you know, the 12 count or something like that and use brown or blue or something like that. And you can erase those as well. Those are a lot of fun. Don't use the pink eraser on the end of the pencil, though. Oh, use, good tip. Use your uh, needed eraser to erase that. Yeah, the pink, if you use a pink eraser or a purple or any of those fun colors that you might yeah. find, they can stain purple or pink when you're erasing. It'll leave that pigment on the paper sometimes, which that's just not good. All right, so maybe you want to add a tip to this list, and we would love to hear that. You can comment in the show notes over at sharpenedartist.com slash podcast. You can always reach out to us by email. Um, did you forget your email? Po- yeah, I think I did. Podcast <laughs> at sharpenedartist.com. And if you like the show, tell someone else about the show or leave us a rating and or a review wherever you get your podcast. This is a weekly show, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. All the show notes can be found at www.sharpenedartist.com.